In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Let's pretend for one second that you are smart and young and lucky. We'll go back about a decade and we'll say that you're just graduating from completing an undergrad degree. You've got some student loans, but nothing crazy. And you manage to immediately land a decent, full-time, entry-level job in your field. So you're growing up, you're paying down your debt, you're saving a little money, and soon you'll be ready to buy a house and settle down and maybe even start a family if that's your thing. And if that was you around, say, 2011 or 2012, I'm going to imagine that what you're about to hear has been part of the soundtrack of your life for about the last decade. What has continued to grow are house prices in some of Canada's biggest cities. The average home price in this country was over $570,000. A Vancouver condo listed at just under $900,000 sold in six days. It sold over asking. After Toronto's housing prices dipped ever so slightly in March, the trend continues back on the upswing. Many millennials say buying a home these days is just not an option. Yes, Canada's housing market is hot. It's been scorching for nearly a decade. Even a global pandemic couldn't cool it off. You heard in those clips about Toronto and Vancouver, but it's way, way beyond that. We have done episodes of this podcast about unaffordable housing in places like Nunavut and in Prince Edward Island. And as the pandemic has made it less necessary for people to live downtown in places like Toronto and Vancouver, Guess what's happened in these smaller, cheaper communities a little ways up or down the road? So, is this the world's biggest housing bubble or is this just now reality in Canada? How has our housing market changed in the past year? And how could it change when COVID is eventually over? And what will happen to some of Canada's smallest but hottest housing markets if the bubble does burst? Jordan Heath-Rawlings, this is The Big Story. Mike Moffat is an economist, and he is the senior director at the Smart Prosperity Institute in Ottawa. Hey, Mike. Hello. Maybe you could start um, with the basics for us. How do housing prices in Canada right now compare with similar countries in the world or compare with even our recent past? Well, we're seeing a house price boom uh, across uh, developed countries. So in Canada, depending on the market, prices are up anywhere from 5 to 40%. Uh, we're seeing similar gains in the United States and in Western Europe. And it's caused by a couple of things. Uh, first, we have a group of individuals that I call sort of white-collar professionals who are staying at home, uh, they haven't been taking vacations, they're not commuting, and they are saving a lot of money. And they're taking that money and using it to buy all sorts of things. So we're seeing huge price increases in the stock market, in, in Bitcoin, 
things like vintage guitars and right. old hockey cards. So they're they're pumping their money into that. And many of them are buying houses. They're, they're, they're buying second homes as investment properties, which is uh, boosting the price of those. And then we couple that with globally low interest rates, which allow people to, to finance the purchase of homes uh, even cheaper than they, they would have been able to a year ago. It's just fueling this massive boom where, again, in, in markets all across Canada and, and in particularly smaller markets like Ingersoll and, and Tilsonburg and markets like that, you know, we're seeing price increases of, of 40 percent or more. Well, I want to get to these small communities in a minute. But first, you know, you mentioned over the past year, but, uh, you know, as uh, as somebody who's lived in Toronto for a long time, it feels like this has been happening forever. Like, I don't remember the time that we weren't talking about the housing bubble. Yeah, absolutely. So across uh, southern Ontario, since about 2015 or so, we've seen some pretty massive price increases. And in the Toronto market, it, it goes well before then. Um, and it's driven by somewhat different dynamics than what we're seeing in the pandemic. Again, the, the, the pandemic dynamics are really driven by a whole host of, uh, of, of cheap money, uh, of people with a lot of savings who are dumping it into the housing market. Over the, the previous years before the pandemic, uh, we saw a big increase in population growth that in a typical five-year period, Ontario grows by about 600 to 700,000 people a year. Well, between 2015 and 2020, that was over a million people a year. So we almost doubled our rate of growth. And, and that was due to an influx of international students. It was due to an influx of, of workers on visas, you know, the two-week express entry, along with increases in our immigration targets. So we had, you know, more people chasing the sort of same number of houses. So we saw this big rise in prices. Um, over the last five years. And now on top of that fire, you know, we, we have this situation where we, we have a lot of, of money and a lot of people buying investment properties, which is uh, boosting up these prices. Is that similar to what's happening in Vancouver right now, which again is the other place? Um, and we're going to get to the rest of the country in a second. But, you know, those are the two places that your mind immediately goes when you think about crazy housing in Canada. Well, it looks like uh, a lot of what we saw over Vancouver the last few years. Now, interestingly enough, Vancouver hasn't been one of the hottest uh, real estate markets uh, during the pandemic. It's only been up about 10 to 15 percent. Hmm. But that said, it does look like uh, Vancouver from a few years ago, where you have this combination of population growth uh, coupled with uh, individuals using housing as a form of investment uh, to really drive up prices. So it does have some similarities to the Vancouver market, though. Again, somewhat surprisingly, Vancouver isn't one of the hottest uh, housing markets these days. I'm going to ask uh, what is probably a really dumb question, but if this has been going on in cities like Toronto and Vancouver um, for a long time now, and you know the growth has been pretty steady, why are we still calling it a bubble? Is this a bubble? Um, what does that term mean in this sense? Well, well, a bubble is uh, prices that are disconnected from, from the underlying fundamentals, that it, it's driven by a form of uh, investment mania. You know, again, the same thing that, that drove up uh, the price of game stock or, you know, the tulip mania from, from 400 years ago. Hmm. Um, so I would think actually in, in Toronto and markets like that, you know, yes, prices are up significantly, but you can make a decent argument that it's it's in part driven by fundamentals. It's in part driven by population growth. 
Where I get a little bit more concerned during the pandemic is markets more sort of rural and remote markets like like a North Bay, Ontario, uh, which is still up 15 to 20 percent year over year, despite the fact that the population really isn't growing all, all that much. So I think there is a combination of things going on. Like I do think there is a bubble in the sense that there is some speculative mania going on. But in your larger markets, in your Toronto, Vancouver and surrounding region, there are also you know, underlying fundamentals about why, uh, why these housing prices would go up. And, and again, it's just uh, too many families chasing too few homes. So what's going on then in North Bay or you mentioned Ingersoll uh, earlier? What's happening in those markets now? Well, a lot of it is people uh, buying buying second properties, again, particularly in your more rural or remote. Um, small town southwestern Ontario, though, is, again, a bit of a different dynamic. And it's one of the things that makes it hard to talk about the real estate market uh, in Canada is it's not sort of a unified market that right. you have all of these little regional markets that are, that are all driven by a bunch of different things. And we've seen over the last few years that you know, as the Toronto market, you know, going back six, seven, eight years ago, got uh, very tight as, uh, as as those prices started going up and as families started price, getting priced out, they started to move to places like Kitchener, Waterloo and, and Guelph mm-hmm. and Barrie. And then those places got expensive. So so families looking to buy a home in, in Kitchener got price of the markets and they moved to Brantford and and then you know Brantford got expensive and those uh, families moved to Tilsonburg. And I call that the, the musical chairs effect. That basically what happens right. is one market gets expensive, so people move to the next market down the 401 or, or, or 403, that housing market gets expensive and so on. And we've seen that again since about 2015 where you know the further and further away you get from the CN Tower, eventually those markets are starting to heat up. And over the last few years, you know, some of the hottest housing markets we've seen have been in relatively smaller communities uh, across southwestern Ontario, again, as people look to buy homes. So Thorold, Ontario, which is, you know, kind of between uh, Hamilton and, and St. Catharines, you know, it's been one of the hottest housing markets over the last few years. Woodstock and Ingersoll, you know, which is between London and Kitchener, kind of same thing that, you know, families are, are looking for a place to live. And, and often the bigger cities and again, even the Kitchener Waterloo's in London have gotten a little expensive. So people look to a Woodstock, a St. Thomas, a Sarnia, you know, a community like that. What does that do to those communities, though? I mean, you mentioned kind of the musical chairs uh, moving out from Toronto. Um, What about the people who live in Ingersoll who might have been expecting uh, as they went off to college or wherever to come back and buy a reasonably priced home? Where do they go? Yeah, so it's had some interesting regional uh, dynamics to it. So absolutely, we are seeing people in those small to mid-sized communities get priced out of the market. That you know, twenty-two-year-old who who thought that uh, you know they'd be able to work in that community and afford a house in the community are, are finding that they're not able to, and they're having to to move down the road, which is which is problematic. Um, it's also problematic that they're often, you know, taking the, the jobs in Kitchener or Waterloo, but having to, to uh, live somewhere that's, you know, 45 or, or 50 minutes away and commuting, right? So it causes a fair bit of congestion and sprawls. Uh, there is an upside, though, that some of these smaller communities have been in economic decline. Uh, you know, they have aging population. 
And it's seeing an influx of young families and it's revitalizing a lot of smaller communities. So there really there is an upside uh, to it, uh, but it is the kind of thing that we have to, to, to manage. And it was largely unexpected. If we go back to 2015 and we look at population forecasts, we didn't really see the, this population growth and communities really weren't uh, prepared for that. So, you know, we weren't forecasting these house price increases and, and these tight markets. And in fact, if you go back to 2013 to 2015, we were calling it a housing bubble back yeah. then. And, you know, you can read the Globe and Mail and, and other newspapers and say, oh, you know, prices are so high. You know, this is a, a house of cards and this is going to collapse. And prices have doubled to tripled since then. Hi there. I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. When you talk about um, the influx of young families into smaller communities and you say, you know, this is something that we've got to manage, how do you manage something like that? What can you do if you're a government to control it or, or try to manipulate it to to capture the best parts of it and prevent the worst? I don't know. Well, I think part of it is, is making sure that we have enough housing in our, in our larger cities so that the, the people who want to live in a Kitchener-Waterloo or, or a Toronto or a Milton uh, can actually get a home there. So, so part of it is, is having that sort of property uh, planning in those uh, larger communities. Um, as well, in the smaller communities, we're going to have to think through things like, like schooling and hospitals. Uh, you know, over the last 30, 40 years, we've been closing a lot of rural schools. And now we're finding that, in fact, we need them open again. Huh. Uh, so, you know, it's incumbent on mostly municipal governments, but the provincial governments as well, uh, to you know, really understand what's going on in the ground and, and take that into account when they're deciding, you know, which hospitals to expand, where to put schools and those sorts of things. You know, you mentioned that a lot of this um, has been driven by the pandemic over the past year, at least. What do you see happening? Um, you know, I always say, like, knock on wood, because God only knows at this point uh, what's next. But, you know, what do you see happening, assuming by September, October, we're all vaccinated and, you know, go into ball games and everything again? How does that change or how could it change the dynamic of the housing market? I think the quickest way to to appear foolish is to make a house price uh, prediction. Uh, they yes, tend not to age enough. very well. And I, I I was mocking all of those people back in 2013 to 15 saying that there was a bubble and it was going to crash and they ended up being wrong. But so instead of making a prediction, I think I'll uh, talk about two possible outcomes. So the, the first is that there may be a correction. Um, and I actually do think uh, we are going to see a pullback in prices somewhat. It's just a matter of degree. It, you know, is it uh, prices going to flatline or go down 5% or are we going to see sort of a 1980s style correction where they go down 30%? Mm -hmm. Though, again, in a lot of markets, even if housing prices went down 30%, 
they'd still be up from where they were last at uh, this time last year. Wow. So we might, but we might see that we might see investors who bought second properties or individuals who have a house in Toronto, but also have a house in Bob Cajun because they realized that they could, you know, work, work remotely for the last year. They might put one of those properties on the market and that could, uh, you know, that, that could cause a, a price decline. Um, on the other hand, you know, we may see these, these house prices persist again, particularly if after the pandemic, we have a return of the international st- students. Uh, we have a return of uh, our tech companies and other companies using the Express Visa uh, system. You know, we've already got uh, a federal government who is expanding uh, immigration targets. So, you know, there's no guarantee uh, of a large correction. You know, there, there's sort of an, an obvious possible path to a correction, but there is also the possibility that these uh, high home prices may persist for some time. How much of it has to do with what uh, those large employers in major cities decide to do? You know, we had uh, Matt Lundy of the Globe and Mail on the show last week, and he mentioned that new businesses are starting up because there's so much cheap rental office space available. And, you know, I don't think anybody knows yet whether or not those huge corporations uh, like Rogers, who owns this podcast, is going to send me back to the office and send all 30,000 Toronto workers back to the office. And how could that uh, either help or hurt uh, house prices? Well, it will certainly affect uh, house prices. So, and we don't know how this is going to turn out. So, you know, one of the ways it might affect home prices is depending on whether or not work from home persists and, and to what degree. Uh, you know, you know, in a world where there's a lot of work from home, then uh, you know, living in a, a Bob Cajun or a Tilsonburg or an Il- Ilderton uh, or an Ingersoll looks a lot more attractive because you're not, you know, you're not driving down to downtown Toronto any day. So in that world, those secondary markets still might uh, have fairly high home prices, but you would see a correction in the larger cities. Hmm. Uh, on the other hand, if work from home doesn't persist, then I think the Toronto market goes back to what it's been for the last 10 years or so, or, you know, more and more families uh, coming in. And there's also the international component to it, that a lot of uh, a, a lot of the, the price growth, again, is driven by things like express entry visas. So you look at the tech firms in Kitchener-Waterloo, are they going to decide to... Um, you know, continue to to bring in uh, workers and you know have them move to Kitchener Waterloo, or they can say, you know what, you can you you can work for our company, but you can still you know live in uh, whatever country you live in now. So we really don't have a sense that this is going to play out. And since we haven't had a pandemic in over a hundred years, uh, you know, in a very different economic environment. There is no playbook uh, to go on. You know, we're all trying to sort of figure this out. You know, we're, we're we're building the plane in midair, I suppose you could say. The last pandemic was coincidentally the last time uh, a three-bedroom home was affordable in Toronto. It's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> um, it certainly feels true. Yeah. Before I let you go, over the next few months, uh, again, as we hopefully, hopefully come out of this, what indicators will you be really paying attention to to figure out um, which of those paths you mentioned uh, will be going down? Is it just the number of of international workers and students who come back to cities? So that that, that would be part of it. So part I, I'm looking at, uh, you know, what's happening to the sort of downtown locations. Um, 
you know, one of the fastest ways to know whether or not workers are going back to the office in Toronto is see the activity that's happening in, uh, you know, the the restaurants and the coffee shops and the in the Path Network in downtown Toronto. Right. Uh, that's going to be the sort of quickest indicator whether or not the, those workers are are coming back is to see the the activity, the congestion. Uh, you know, Google tracks these things. You know, Google has uh, activity map. They 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 look at you know how many people are, are traveling from one place to another. So there's a lot of commuting data you you can look at. I will absolutely be looking at the international student numbers in in September, October. I think those are going to be really fascinating. I think they're an underrated indicator, uh, particularly in the Southern Ontario market that I don't think enough people look at. So, you know, seeing what those numbers are, I think is going to give us a real idea of what the housing market looks like, particularly in our college and university towns. So our Toronto's, our London's and our Kingston's. And, and so on. So th- those, you know, those are are the ones uh, that I'd be looking at, and, and just as well as sales numbers. So not just what's happening on the price side, but what's happening on uh, the number of houses available for sale. Uh, you know, how quickly is that stock turning over? And those sorts of indicators may give us an idea of, of what the next twelve to eighteen months look like. Mike, thank you so much uh, for explaining this to me. It's really helpful. No, yeah, thank you for having me. Mike Moffat, an economist at the Smart Prosperity Institute. That was The Big Story. If you'd like more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Yes, we have done episodes on unaffordable housing in the past, and I am assuming this one will also not be the last word. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can complain there about just how unlikely you are to ever own a home. You can also write us a letter via email, the Big Story Podcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. You can ask us any questions. We'll try to answer them. And you can rate us and review us and leave a comment because we love to read them in any podcast player you like. Thank you for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now.